0: Welcome to Universal. I'm Professor Eunice Simmons, VC at the University of Chester. Joined today by our Professor of Health and Social Care, Elizabeth Mason-Whitehead. Nursing has been much in the news lately, and we're taking the opportunity to discuss it in the context of another crisis, the Crimean War in 1853-56, which precipitated the development of nursing as a profession in the 19th century. May 2020 is the 200th anniversary of Florence Nightingale's birth in Florence, Italy. After her experience in the Crimea, Florence was the catalyst for a whole new approach to healthcare. But as we shall see, there was more than one approach to nursing in the 19th century. So Elizabeth, what first led to your interest in the history of nursing?
1: Well, I suppose two things really. Um, I was very much of an era that read Ladybird books. And it was the Lady Bird book of Florence Nightingale that was essential reading when I was a girl. My grandmother was a nurse and um, I was slightly brought up in an isolation hospital outside a little place called Appleby. So that would have been a TB hospital in the 1960s. And um, my mother was a physiotherapist. And so when I was growing up, I always helped her. And I've always been interested in history and always had a strong sense of what was behind me and how that informed what was in front of me, really. And nursing history is extremely interesting and we take a lot of lessons from those times that we are used to inform today.
0: That's really fascinating that you had sort of two angles to it. You were, you were exposed, if you like, to the sort of discussions having today about isolation. And uh, that's very current, isn't it? But that's... also that you were looking back and, and you realised there was an interesting history to all of this. I mentioned the uh, anniversary of uh, Florence Nightingale's birth. So tell me a bit about Florence Nightingale and then we're going to
1: explore some other compatriots. Well Florence Nightingale without question is a legend and like all legends there are lots of stories built up around her and people involved in nursing all have a particular view on Florence Nightingale. I think one of the things that is so important is the such a length of her life because of course she lived till she was 90 and born in 1820 died in 1910 she would have been um active for the most part of the Victorian era as one of the great Victorians, a time of great activity um, in our history. And I think probably one of the most important things is looking at her childhood. Like all of us, we are informed by our childhood. And for Florence, her family were extremely um, well connected. um, And she was brought up with her elder sister, and very strong expectations that would have been put upon her to be a lady who would stay at home and bring up her own family and live a particular kind of life and she decided that's something that she didn't want to do she wanted to do something different and I think the lesson there is the courage of wanting to do something different and deciding that actually I am not going to go with the flow I'm going to Dare to be different, and that must have been hugely difficult for her. I think also the fact that was quite unusual both her and her sister were extremely well educated by their father, and that's interesting. Not only were they educated, they were educated in mathematics. And that is that- very unusual, isn't it, for the time? Wow, it's very
0: interesting. She did actually use her mathematics first, didn't she, before she She actually
1: started to develop and think about nursing, develop her nursing ideas? She did, she did. did. Uh, They said that she would have much preferred to have read a book on mathematics rather than a novel. She first used her mathematics and statistics around um, plants, and her collection of plants. Of course, had we not been in this present time, there would have been a garden, a Florence Nightingale garden at Chelsea Flower Show. So, and that relates back to the kind of things that she was brought up with in the country environment that she loved very much in Derbyshire. The other thing is like a lot of people of the time, there would be a very strong element of faith in her family and that guided her very much throughout her life and once I think she had made the decision that she wanted to be a nurse she started off with home nursing and of course her mathematics really must have been a thread I think very much throughout her life because she became very evidenced informed She acted on the evidence that she could gather, and the evidence that she could gather was through her numbers. Um, She wouldn't have analysed it in the way that we would look back at it today, but what else would she have at her hands other than the counting of soldiers? She knew that her mathematics were were hugely important. And, of course, later on in her life, she went on to develop um, the pie chart and introduce um, infographics, and one of the very first people to do that, which is how she laid out her amazing rose chart, her coxcomb, um, that set out um, the deaths um, between 1855-1856 of the soldiers at Scutari and in the Crimea. So that was very important. and. I think significantly for that period of time, which is taking a big jump here, but significantly she set out, laid bare. What she saw was the errors that she had made. She didn't try to hide away from those errors, but she laid it out in this very graphical way. In terms of her errors, what sort of errors would she have been talking about? Well... The big one probably was that she was a believer in the miasma theory. She would believe that um, illness would come very much from the air. She focused very much on personal care, which, of course, is hugely important. But she didn't probably quite grasp the importance of public health, which is a little bit confusing because she did know Jon Snow very well.
0: That's the John Snow who was a member of the Westminster Medical Society, which prided itself on on clinical demonstrations and again using um, facts or in trying try to ascertain the facts behind things like the use of chloroform. I think, uh, wasn't oh. it he who um, administered chloroform to Queen Victoria for her later children, eighth and ninth that's children? Absolutely. Yes, that's
1: right. That's absolutely really? right. But once she grasped what was happening in in the Crimea, once she grasped what happened in Scutari, she then made a huge effort to change things. Once she understood the importance of the cleanliness that was required within her hospitals, then, of course, um, the death rate of the soldiers started to fall. And it was that that really took her Um, for the rest of her life, the notion of what could have been to what was. And I think that is a very important thing that we learn in terms of reflection today for all nurses. But she was a strategist in every sense of the word, really. Um, And she often waited before she did something. She got all her evidence together and then she moved. And of course, what she'd learned out in um, Scutari... She then transferred into the development of the teaching hospital that we know today as King's College Hospital School of Nursing, and was St Thomas's School of Nursing. The new design of St Thomas's Hospital and subsequent hospitals, she based very much on her knowledge of health. And of course, we still have um, Victorian hospitals today that have been very much influenced by Florence Nightingale. She Worked out how high from ab- above the f- the floor would the windows be? That the importance of having windows where you had the crosswind that w- that went through. So she was statistically driven. She
0: worked out how far apart the beds were. She. Actually, she could work out the sort of social distancing that we're struggling with at the moment. I mean, we have to redesign the university to be socially distanced, and that's uh, challenging. yes, yes. Really yes challenging.
1: Yeah. And that links, of course, back to the hospital that Brunel took over for her. Isn't Bar Kingdom Brunel designed the field hospital? He did, yes. And it lasted for about 10 months, this hospital, and she called the hospital those magnificent huts. Of course, she went to the Crimea because of the public outcry, the condition soldiers of the time would have been living in um, and, of course, dying at the huge rates they were. And when she got there, of course she realised that the conditions were extremely bad and rising to the call, Brunel designed this hospital and it was sent over flat pack, I suppose a bit like Ikea really. An old-fashioned flat pack. I think so, (laughs) and of course that links back to again to where we are now, um, which is very interesting after all these years. The Florence Nightingale Hospital and the Nightingale Ward very much rooted in the idea that nurses can see their patients 24 hours a day. And um, interestingly, one of the things that you notice when Boris Johnson came out of um, hospital, he talked about um, how the nurses watched over him 24 hours a day, you remember?
0: Yes.
1: And now Florence wrote a letter to her nurses in the nursing school every year, And um, I found something here that I think is really fascinating. She makes a focus on the night nurse. And I think this links quite nicely with what Boris Johnson says, because she says night nurses are able to give a full, accurate and minute account of each patient the next morning. Now, That focuses on the whole 24-hour cycle, and she reminds her nurses in her annual letter to them the importance of the night nurse, and she wrote that every nurse ought to be careful to wash her hands frequently. Well, if ever there was anything more relevant than that, Um, so, so much is relevant, To the world that we're in now, we've got the whole notion of the calling of the nurse. I think that in many ways has come back. Are
0: you meaning the nurse as a, as a vocation and the nurse as uh, someone who is valued by society? I think that definitely seems to have come back now with, with coronavirus, thankfully. Instead of them seeing, being seen as um, you know, a functionary, they're actually seen as uh, very much the, the human interface within the hospital. That's very evident in terms of how people have recounted their experience of um, coming through coronavirus.
1: I think that's right. And the other thing I think in in that is I think for a new generation of nurses coming on, I think the the profession itself can show itself to a new generation to say, well, actually, you know, what kind of nurse are you? Are you the strategist? Are you going to be the person who is going to be much more patient, um, connected? Are you going to be the bedside nurse? There's a place for many different nurses within the nursing profession. And maybe for some nurses, they will take a bit of each. But I think that's one of the great opportunities that nursing offers. And of course, this disease very much brings out the, the real skills of nursing um, on a one-to-one basis. Also, I think it's brought out the importance, um, you know, from a university setting, of um, training nurses and ensuring that we have nurses very much prepared for the world that we're in now, just as Florence did all those years ago. I couldn't agree more. I mean, at the university, we do have a stellar uh,
0: faculty of health and social care, and indeed, uh, many of our alumni and current students are right on the front line now with the current pandemic and doing a fantastic job. So, we are very proud of them, but we're also very proud of the academics um, and practitioners who've helped develop their skills. I think that they really deserve some credit uh, in this crisis. just before we go back to Florence and her expertise, you mentioned about different characters um, Mm. and that nursing can certainly, um, well, needs all these these different approaches. So at the same time, there were some vastly contrasting characters, some of whom we do know about. A book I hugely enjoyed was by Mary Seacole, Wonderful Mm. Adventures of Mrs. Seacole in Many Lands, the Jamaican Scottish woman who actually went out to the Crimea and met Florence Nightingale.
1: Tell me a bit about her. Well, she did, and, and I've been giving Mary a bit of thought recently. Um, she is a very interesting one. At the time, um, she wanted to go to the Crimea working with Florence. Now, she was not accepted to do that, so she decided she was going to go on her own, and so she did. Now, Mary Seacole comes from uh, a tradition um, in Jamaica in Kingston where her mother was what was known as a doctress, and would have had um, a range of skills that she would have used uh, and which she gained an excellent reputation and Mary would have learned her skills very much from her mother so this is what she used when she was going to um, the Crimea and she did meet Florence Nightingale, there would have been a complete clash in many respects, very different backgrounds, very different approaches. And of course, Mary Seacole in many ways could afford to be uh, a lot more free because she was not under the structure of the government as Florence Nightingale was. Mary Seacole was very much her own woman in that regard. She of course, was older than Florence Nightingale um, and she would be able to follow her own thoughts and what she wanted to do in a much more spontaneous way.
0: There's an interesting point in the book which Mm -hmm. it describes their meeting. Mary is standing in the kitchen of the hospital at Scutari in the Crimea, answering numerous questions from Mrs B, one of Florence's assistants, as she attempts to get a
2: meeting with Florence. I think Mrs. B, who saw me, felt more surprised than she could politely show. I never found women so quick to understand me as the men when I handed her Dr. F's kind letter respecting me and apologised for troubling Miss Nightingale. There is that in the doctor's letter. He had been much at Scutari, which prevents my request being refused. And I am asked to wait until Miss Nightingale, whose every moment is valuable, can see me. Meanwhile, Mrs. B. questions me very kindly, but with the same look of curiosity and surprise. What object has Mrs. Seacole in coming out? This is the purport of her questions. And I say, frankly, to be of use somewhere. For other considerations I had not, until necessity, forced them upon me. Willingly, had they accepted me, I would have worked for the wounded in return for bread and water. I fancy Mrs. B thought that I sought for employment at Scutari, for she said very kindly, Miss Nightingale has the entire management of our hospital staff, but I do not think that any vacancy... Excuse me, ma'am, I interrupt her with, but I am bound for the front in a few days. And my questioner leaves me, more surprised than ever. The room I waited in was used as a kitchen. Upon the stoves were cans of soup, broth and arrowroot, while nurses passed in and out with noiseless tread and subdued manner. I thought many of them had that strange expression of the eyes which those who have gazed long on scenes of woe or horror seldom lose. In half an hour's time, I am admitted to Miss Nightingale's presence. A slight figure in the nurse's dress, with a pale, gentle and withal firm face, resting lightly in the palm of one white hand, while the other supports the elbow, A position which gives to her countenance a keen inquiring expression which is rather marked standing thus in repose and yet keenly observant a sign of impatience at any time a slight perhaps unwitting motion of the firmly planted right foot was florence nightingale that englishwoman whose name shall never die but sounds like music on the lips of British men until the hour of doom. She had read Dr. F's letter, which lies on the table by her side, and asks in her gentle but eminently practical and businesslike way, what do you want, Mrs. Seacole? Anything that we can do for you. If it lies in my power, I shall be very happy.
0: Although there's a, there's a sort of dark side to it or, or a tension, there's a, there's a tension in that people read into this, you know, the, the racism of the time, the undoubted racism of the time. Mary Sickle wasn't accepted as of Florence's group. But even so, when they did eventually meet, it does appear that there was mutual respect.
1: Florence did make note of this, and she acknowledged the work that she had done in helping the soldiers and on the front line. She very much did... Do that, and also importantly, when um, Mary Seacole came back to England and fell on hard times, Florence Nightingale did contribute to her fund, um, as other people did as well. So she she did do that. Importantly, all the soldiers appear to have benefited in different ways from both Florence Nightingale and Mary Seacole, because neither of them lost their focus on caring for their patient the soldier and they never lost sight of that and and I think that is something that they respected in each other.
0: I think Mary Seacole demonstrates um, uh, her entrepreneurship I mean she also ran a hotel as you say like her mother that was obviously her background. I think that the fact she had the freedom um, I think what she was able to do for soldiers was rather different, um, but undoubtedly of value. And it was recognised on her return. You mentioned the fund. So many people put into this fund because they recognised uh, what she had done. Of course, she wrote a book which was very popular at the time, albeit with some quite alarming sort of accounts of battles and yes. hardship. Um, so, yes. uh,
1: who else contributed? Certainly Palmerston was involved.
0: Okay, sure.
1: right. And she has a nice quote about Palmerston that he always does the right thing. I think also the thing in relation to Mary Seacole and Florence Nightingale was that maybe there was one of the things, there was a slight bit of jealousy, it is thought, because Florence Nightingale behaved in a very particular way. When she went to Crimea, she knew she was not going on her territory So she fell very much into army regulations. She knew this was not her patch. So enter her strategy. So she she held back for a week till she was invited to work, which she did because the first lot of soldiers came in. Now, she couldn't afford to do anything else. The world was watching her. She'd got 38 nurses there. She couldn't be as spontaneous, no matter what she wanted. So she dressed in a very sober way. Um, In comes Mary Seacole in her bright colours, her much more flamboyant way of life and she could be much more um, open and interestingly now Mary Seacole, she got the approval of the doctors to prescribe her medicines. Now Florence might not have liked that necessarily so there may have been just a bit of jealousy there
0: there's plenty of professional tension in um, in That's... modern day medicine and nursing isn't there in oh. terms of the right approach to this i think we're seeing a little bit of that in the in current circumstances so it's not surprising when things were really just beginning that that different approaches were perhaps um, difficult to uh, to understand so mary wasn't the only nurse with an individual entrepreneurial approach who challenged Florence's way of working, with tension as the result. Another key name of the Crimea is Betsy Cadwalader. After many years traveling as a servant on merchant ships, she was so eager to join the nurses heading out to work with Florence, that she took liberties with the details of her age and marital status in a letter to the wife of Sidney Herbert, Secretary of State for War,
2: to be sure to secure her place. November 21st. 1854. To the Honourable Mrs. Herbert, I apologise for writing in my own plain style to a lady, but should feel most happy to accept appointment as active nurse to the British General Hospital in the East. I am the widow of an engineer who has served in the East Indies for some years. I have travelled much with quite experience, my age, 44, a robust constitution and I will endeavor to do the utmost of my power to serve the sufferers in the war. Honorable lady, if you would furnish me with all the particulars, I should feel grateful. I am, dear lady, your humble servant.
1: Tell me a little bit about Betsy. Well, Betsy Cudwell, of course, was born Elizabeth Davis, and she was much older than both of them. And she was born in North Wales. Uh, She then went on to the Crimea, and she also met with Florence Nightingale. Now, again, another spontaneous nurse who came from a very, very different background, quite a lot of hardship as she was growing up and she was somebody else who also fell on very hard times. There was about 31 years age difference between Florence Nightingale and um, Betsy, so that is massive. And Betsy also has something to say about um, Florence. Betsy says, I did not like the name of Nightingale. When I first hear a name, I am apt to know my feeling whether I still like the person who has it. So she did not take to Nightingale. And interestingly, just on the side, of course, Florence Nightingale wouldn't have been Florence Nightingale if her father hadn't changed his name. She would have been Florence Shaw. So. Why did he change his name to inherit something? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He did. Sure. <laughs> yeah. She would have been larger, so it doesn't quite have the same ring there, does it? No, it yeah. doesn't. It's isn't that interesting? That's maybe less memorable. Oh,
0: that's that's strange, isn't it? There's a happenstance. Sure. Okay. But, but
1: guess, Betsy was very active nonetheless, wasn't she, in she her, was, her own way? Oh, she was. She was hugely active. And um also, whilst they did not take to each other at all. But they also again had their focus on the patient. And Betsy went right to the front line. She went to work in another hospital. Her way of nursing would have been the kind of nursing that she would have been brought up with. Um, She would have worked um, as a domestic servant and it would be very much learned on the hoof, as it were. So Betsy Cadwallader, she wanted more excitement. So she went out. I mean,
0: it's a bit dramatic though isn't it to want to go for a battlefield in the Crimea I mean it's there must have been so much written in the newspapers there was such an interest in that war and everybody knew about it 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 really was the sort of crisis of the time wasn't
1: it and people felt they wanted to contribute. Florence also recognised the work that Betsy had done and she had heard work about her work and she said how much, you know, she recognised the work that she had done with soldiers on the front line. Of course, we now have the Betsy Card Waller Trust. So although Betsy did not get recognition in her lifetime, that's a
0: well-deserved legacy, how were Mary and Florence remembered?
1: Interestingly, I think over the period of time as we've remembered them, when Mary Seacole came back to England... Um, she was very much celebrated. She herself was enjoyed, I think, very much the celebration that were put around her. Florence, on the other hand, was a much more reserved person. And she said that when she was leaving in her letters and she says, I'm going to leave the Crimea under the name of Smith and comes back up to Derbyshire, up to Leehurst. Nobody knew she was coming. She just came. And she had very little idea of what was happening in England while she was away. A whole, all what was being said about her, although her family tried to tell her, she kept very much out of the limelight. And whereas Mary Seacole did something completely the opposite, she was very much in the limelight. and Said that she 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 walked round London with her medals on, whereas. Um, Florence stayed quiet, waiting for the invitation from Queen Victoria to go to Balmoral and start setting off the Royal Commission for work of the British Army in India, which she did. So she carried on. You've indicated Florence was a statistician,
0: she was a mathematician. She did write a lot, didn't she? So Florence had an ongoing influence. So I although you used to say Mary Seacole came back and she wrote her book because she'd fallen on hard times and she became much better known in the in the sort of immediate
1: aftermath of the war but Florence
0: Nightingale it it carried on working
1: Mary Seacole dropped out people didn't really hear any more about Mary Seacole until we got to about the 1980s oh so that is very interesting
0: we didn't hear about her as a character because although she'd written her book she She wasn't recognised, perhaps because she hadn't been a traditional, as we then thought of, traditional nurse in the Nightingale tradition. Um, And so
1: she was, in a sense, rediscovered. She very much was rediscovered. And we have some really interesting debate there. Since the revival of Mary Seacole, um, she's been recognised in a number of ways. For example, the Mary Seacole building at Salford University. There's also a statue of Mary Seacole outside St Thomas's Hospital. OK, so
0: we had an opportunity to have a, a sort of revisionist um, approach, I guess,
1: to, to nursing and <laughs>
0: not view it quite as straightforwardly as hitherto. Yeah,
1: I think that's right. And, and, and so uh, we look at Mary Seacole and we start to understand a little bit more and reassess the, the significance that she had, that... Nursing brings in people from all over the world and different backgrounds.
0: Regardless of background, some women were able to use nursing to expand their horizons
1: in many ways. My grandmother went to China. She had separated from her husband, but to get to China, she she was a widow on her passport so she could get in (laughs) so she could get into China and do her nursing she nursed down the Yangtze so we're trying to do some history around that and find out exactly what she did do but she subsequently came back and she nursed also in Honduras and she nursed She nursed Rudyard Kipling? She
0: did, apparently. Oh, that's a great story. So, (laughs) (laughs) Does she feature in any of his
1: books? (laughs) Well, I I met somebody who came to Chester once and told them this, and and they put me on to somebody to get all this sorted out, which it's on the list to do. And I think that's a very interesting point, because, of course, for many people, nursing has always been a way of life. People would have been... Trained in a hospital, they would have lived on the hospital grounds. And as they retired, they would have gone into um, a nurse's retirement home. And that's how they would have lived their lives. And of course, that was where the companionship was found. The notion of nursing would have been a profession. And I think this is one of the great things that Chester does. And he does this in spades. It allows people to actually grow and, and be as good as they can be. And the Faculty of Health and Social Care at Chester has always done that. And I think that's one of the really special things about Chester is that it allows people to develop in so many different ways.
0: But I really identify with what you say there because my mother was a nurse and trained at Manchester Royal Infirmary and lived in. And I think she only left when she got married and that she did actually go into um, to nursing uh, in industry for a while. But it wasn't usual to stay in the hospital after one got married. Uh, So I think that that's also very interesting. and obviously they were women and now we have um, hugely valuable male nurses. And in fact, we wish we had more male students. It's still very much the case that we get far more women applying than men. And yet the
1: profession really needs male nurses. Completely. One of the things is that that when men enter nursing, they do do very well indeed. Very often, um, and you know, there lies another argument. Some women might say we're disproportionately managed by men. What do you
0: mean in the current health service in the NHS? Well,
1: in terms of nurse management, if we look at the small number of men who are working um, very much in clinical practice, and then disproportionately that number have gone into management and strategic positions um, compared to the, the number of women, if you see what I mean. Now, Do you see uh, what you mean? That is interesting. That isn't yeah. true. Actually,
0: we need some of uh, Florence Nightingale's strategists and uh, long-term thinkers to be going on into management. But as well as those practically informed, I think that's hugely important. Yes, uh, that that's absolutely right. Just thinking about Florence later in life, she actually ended up
1: uh, connected to Charles Babbage in some way. Remind me how that uh, came about. Charles Babbage would have been president of the Statistical Society and probably because of her result of her work, a statistical work from the Crimea, um, she was admitted to the Royal Statistical Society, first woman she had the ability to engage all the top minds of the day really the closeness of it i don't think maybe we can comprehend and they would be all her era and they would have lived with her very much through the crimea through the development of nursing the nursing school the redesigning of uh, hospitals our understanding of public health and sanitary reform she would have worked with edwin Chadwick who of course was, was the first um, medical officer of public health, Liverpool of course, and some quite, we've got quite strong local connections in many ways with Florence Nightingale. And I believe at the Historical Society's museum at Ch- University
0: of Chester, we've actually got one of Florence Nightingale's letters from the front, is that right? We do, we do, and that's one of our prize objects. Reading this letter, written by Florence from the General Hospital in Balaclava on May 20th, 1856, it comes across as very heartfelt and pious, but there's a secret at the heart of the letter. Writing to the relative of gunner and driver in the Royal Artillery, she notes that, after the most diligent inquiry, it appears to the commanding officer of the unfortunate man that he may, in fact, be a deserter, but adds that it would be best if
2: this finding should remain between them. Although it be impossible to us to retain particulars of the deaths of all those brave soldiers who have died in the service of their country during that fearful winter, it is a comfort to me who have seen so much of their patient suffering to remember that no one is forgotten by the father of us all. I trust it will be a comfort to the father to remember that all are on his hands. I doubt not he has suffered much from painful uncertainty concerning his poor son let him if no further news is obtained know that he now is at rest from all cares and sorrows of this world may he be supported to bear them i have never had so painful and unsatisfactory a letter to write i beg to remain madam your obedient
1: servant Florence Nightingale. She goes on to show a very gentle side to her, a very comforting side. And I think that is something that people um, are always taken by because Florence is often seen as somebody who's very striding, um, this strategic administrator. But ultimately, It it gives probably a very strong indication of why she was so loved by the soldiers, um, because there was that gentleness that came out and the idea that you would take time to write such a long letter um, in such circumstances, um, that in itself is something else. So that's part of our museum.
0: The collection is what is valuable. The fact you brought it together and you give people an opportunity to explore it. So we very much look forward to that being open again and uh, able to share it with with visitors and and people in Chester.
1: Thanks indeed.
0: Thank you to Professor Elizabeth Mason-Whitehead for her reflections on nursing history. Just as I was finishing this episode, I received an email saying that one of our esteemed colleagues in the NHS, Joe salito Havab, passed away of COVID-19 this week. I would like to dedicate this podcast to Joe, who worked at Warrington & Halton NHS Trust in the very important role of practice educator. He was held in high regard by my health and social care colleagues for his own nursing expertise and his ability to help our student nurses grow in confidence in clinical skills when they were on placement and as they became graduate nurses. The current crisis has certainly shone a light on our National Health Service with student nurses being asked to join the profession six months early and a target of 50,000 more nurses over the next five years. The restoration of a bursary towards living costs for student nurses will be of some help but will it be sufficient? Maybe this crisis also needs to precipitate a national conversation about how we will best educate and utilise the skills and talents of this new generation of nurses in the context of a hopefully future-proofed NHS. Thank you for listening to Universal, a podcast from the University of Chester. The editor was Ewan Morgan, the music was By Last Mode and our reader was Deborah Thomas a postgraduate research student in performing arts at the Creative Kingsway campus, University of Chester.